Because of the way the universe is created, we each of us live in two worlds at the same time. We have to live in the outer life of our own bodies and the inner life of our own souls. Hello and welcome to Living the Inner Life. I'm your host, Chris Sheridan, and I want you to join with me on a journey into our inner lives, our thoughts, feelings, beliefs, everything that helps shape the way we interact with and respond to the outside world. And if we can utilize our tools of consciousness, we can live a better life, inner, outer, and a better total life. Well, one bit of advice we seem to get a lot is to get rid of ego, get out of your ego. All right. Well, I'm here to tell you that you need a strong ego. And I'm going to tell you why. All right. Now, the ego gets a bad rap, but it simply means the identity, the I, the individual me who I think I am, the persona that I present to the world, and my feelings and thoughts about myself in my inner life, this conscious awareness, this self-awareness, one of the traits that helps separate human beings from other animals, at least as far as we know or think we know, is that we have this notion of self-awareness, that I am an individual creature and I am aware of myself, I am self-conscious, I am possibly thinking about the way I look or the way I behave, and this can be influenced by social structures and family capacities, anything that helps influence the environment, helps influence your upbringing and what you're exposed to. And you can get this self-identity. And we have all kinds of markers. You have your name, you have gender, you have a place where you live, uh, skin tones or ethnicities, religions, uh, locations, you're from a certain place and have a certain accent. Okay, and all these things go into developing this ego, this who we think we are, all right? And we need this ego to be strong, all right? And that sounds counterintuitive because when we see somebody who may have a big ego, somebody's egotistical or somebody who is really full of themselves, all right? This ego, this me-go, this me-me-me. And that's generally thought of as a negative thing. And it is, but it only is, well, for two reasons. First of all, this ego, we tend to think is really who we are, the sum total of ourselves. And we let it be in control. Sometimes we're not even aware that it's in control because it's just us going about our day, moving through the world. Okay. But this ego, this sense of I, this personal identity is only really part of ourselves. All right. And if we're letting part of ourselves speak and act for the rest of us, well, we may not be letting in some of these other voices, some of these other aspects of ourself. Okay. So that's one reason uh, why we can get in trouble with the ego is because we give it too much power. We let it take over. We let it drive the ship. All right. Second reason is that the ego is immature. Okay. It's incomplete. It is some way like an adolescent, uh, somebody not fully grown, but thinks they are <laughs> a teenager with a driver's license, you know, thinks they know it all and can't tell them otherwise. Uh, and 
yes, moving up through the K through 12 school system, by the time you're in 11th or 12th grade, you're the king of the mountain. Okay, you've been doing your time and you're at the top of the pyramid. But that's only within that context of school years and growing up, coming of age where, according to laws and rules at this time, an 18-year-old is an adult. But we know that's not necessarily the case in as far as maturity is concerned. Okay, maybe physically um, we've reached some level, uh, although a lot of people I know don't really get fully into adulthood until their early 20s, but somewhere around there. But it's emotionally and it's psychologically and even levels of wisdom. Okay, we think we know a lot at that age, uh, but we just haven't realized that there's a larger world of things that we don't quite know yet. All right. And if one part of ourselves or a certain person um, is immature and is really self-identifying, really has this self-awareness, this uh, self-system of looking at the world in terms of what does it mean to me? Do I like this? Do I not like this? And that's not enough, okay? That's not enough to live a mature life. You're not going to be really proficient as a parent or successful in business or other areas of your life if you don't mature beyond just the physical, if you don't mature emotionally, if you don't mature psychologically, if you don't learn and grow as you move along through life, and you're stuck sort of in this, you know, you have a grown-up and a teenager's, you know, mentality or psychology, it's not going to serve you as well as it would if you were a little more matured, okay? And I don't necessarily mean that all grown-up or settling or being boring or anything like that. I mean that in a really positive, very empowering kind of a way to be mature, just like you would have anything else to be mature. If it's a money fund that has to reach some level, oh, then it's matured or it's accrued. Or if it's a tree that you plant, well, only a mature plant or tree is going to bear fruit. Okay, so this maturity is important for life, for regeneration. Okay, but that's the way our ego is. We may grow up. Parts of ourselves may be more advanced. Maybe the soul is growing and learning. Maybe the soul is very old when we get here. But if we let this ego, okay, that's only part of ourselves, and it's also a not fully developed, not fully matured in the very positive sense aspect that we have this immature ego running the show, driving the ship, okay? And that's not what we want. And a lot of the literature and a lot of spiritual speakers, a lot of spiritual traditions, especially some of the newer age ones, talk a lot about that, okay? Because of, you know, the terminology of psychology of the last 150 years or so, uh, we can speak in terms of the ego, the superego, the id, and all these other, there's 101 ways to kind of divide up consciousness. That's why this is going to be an ongoing thing, talking about these different aspects. I don't think there's any 
one particular system. Uh, but there are terminologies and aspects that have been identified by great thinkers. Um, oh, well, for thousands of years, but really clearly in uh, the, kind of the modern science of psychology, really in the last 150 years or so. Certain spiritual traditions like Buddhism um, are inherently psychological. Uh, all the mystical traditions uh, involve this very hands-on, personal, here and now aspect, not something somewhere else or something that happened to somebody a long time ago. Okay, they are inherently psychological, but for the most part in the West, you know, we have education and maturity in the sense of getting a job, raising a family, and anything else you want to do as you grow up. But the ego has not been matured, all right? And when something is not mature and it's put in this position of power, it's going to be faced with things that it can't really deal with properly, that only a matured, seasoned ego or person would be able to handle. And then the response is going to be one of fear in the sense of wanting to hide. Okay, you want to hide this weakness. So that's why sometimes it's the person who's loud and maybe even a bully. Bullies are generally scared inside, and that's how they treat this feeling of being scared, is by scaring somebody else. It takes the scare away from inside. Because, as we know, a lot of bullies probably are bullied at home or at some other point in their life. And being immature, there's you don't want to let the cat out of the bag, okay? You don't want people to get on to you that, oh, gosh, maybe you don't know what you're doing. So you're going to come up with this facade. Uh, you're going to defend yourself. Uh, that's what the ego does. It justifies bad emotions, and it defends immature thoughts, and these responses are more reactionary than a well-thought-out response. If something happens in the world, the response is going to be a lot more reactionary from an immature ego standpoint, all right? So we need this ego, okay? This ego that would run into a burning building to save a child or just to be self-empowered uh, to do things in the world. We need this driving force, and we need this identity. We need this sense of self, this sense of persona, and who we are. It's how we present ourselves in the world. It's how we interact and move about and distinguish ourselves from other people, from other egos. All right? Now, the tale of Hamlet, um, I think, really plays a... Uh, really an interesting take on the ego. Hamlet, the prince, was very immature, kind of a mama's boy, but kind of mad at her because after her, his father was killed, she went with another guy he didn't approve of. And uh, if you know the story, uh, but either way, he's Hamlet. He's insecure, immature, but he's a prince at Elsinore in Denmark. He has this position of power. He's from royalty. And so having all this power, but really having not that much of the responsibility, not that seasoned, mature, responsible 
kind of a person. Uh, he is confused about himself and his place in the world. And interestingly, some people have a take on this story of Hamlet because in the early 1600s, about the time the play was put up and became popular, also coincided with the growing notion of a heliocentric solar system, okay? A solar system where the Earth goes around the sun. That was new. Um, it was resisted, <laughs> uh, sometimes very violently, uh, by certain power structures, but there was this growing sense, and that gave a lot of anxiety. If the Earth wasn't the center of the universe anymore, what would become of us? Then we're just on this spinning little ball out in the middle of nowhere, and we're just a speck, we're random. You know, traditions uh, throughout history, throughout time, have really put the Earth at the center of the universe, even if there is a powerful sun say like in the Egyptian traditions, that this earth is, you know, the Garden of Eden it has God's favor, God made it, and it's, you know, very important, and he can look down on us and this kind of thing and check up on us and see how we're doing, all right? But if we're just this random ball in space, then we're not really all that special or feel all that special. So there was a lot of anxiety, and that's where a lot of this resistance took place. And... At that time, in the, during the Renaissance, where not only scientifically was this discovery being made and popularized and published and resisted and fought against, there were trials, there were burnings, there were all kinds of things. It was very, uh, very much rejected because of how uncomfortable it made everybody feel, but eventually. People caught on, the power structures, even the rank-and-file everyday person uh, came to this new cosmology that the Earth is not in the center of the world, center of the universe, that we're part of it. And even our local system, planetary system, um, has the sun in the center, and all the planets, including Earth, revolve around that. Okay, and there's a really interesting, I think it's kind of funny, uh, anagram that has to uh, go along with that. All right, so it used to be before the heliocentric, sun centered cosmology that we had the geocentric, the earth centered. So, geo, G E O, meaning earth, geology, things like that. This geocentric, well, that's an anagram for ego, E G O, right? G-E-O, geocentric, E-G-O, egocentric, same thing. And that's where we run into a lot of trouble. We are like Hamlet. Our ego is like Hamlet in the play and like the notion of a geocentric universe, okay? That we are making this shift just like Hamlet had to do. Actually, Hamlet really couldn't. It was a tragedy. He ended up dying at the end. Um, he couldn't accept it, okay? Eventually, society and science and even the church uh, came around to accept this as being the de facto way of looking at the universe, no longer with the earth in the center, this geo or egocentric. Everything orbits around me. The world revolves around me. And then when you find out it doesn't, okay, 
It's an allegory for coming of age, for maturing. Okay? And you don't get rid of the ego. Okay? Nor do you get rid of the geo. <laughs> it becomes part of a larger thing without really losing what it is. But you have to become strong. The ego has to be matured. It has to be strong in the sense that it can't be threatened as much. It doesn't feel as weak. Because we know deep down inside, okay, that that's kind of a weak point to be coming from. And to cover up all this weakness with all kinds of justifications and protestations and anything you can do so you are not found out as being weak and you pump yourself up and pump up this ego because it's trying to protect you. It's trying to protect itself. It doesn't want to be seen as weak and it doesn't want to be destroyed or gotten rid of. So instead of thinking about this idea of getting rid of the, oh, I have no ego, I'm just completely <laughs> pure and everything else. No, you need this ego. This ego is part of your identity. It's part of your strength. It can serve you well, but it's not a great master. Okay, it should not be in control of everything. And then what is in control? Who is in control? If I'm not in control of me, my geo, my ego, Who's pulling the strings? You know, what's this larger power? And that's this transpersonal self, the individuated self, the self with a capital S, not the self with a small s. That's this immature ego. It's the capital S self, the self that's encompassing, that includes the ego and all the other constellations and orbits and planetary movements of all these different parts of yourself, okay? And the ego can be a very strong player. It can be really a lifesaver. It can be a, just a great character in this cast of characters in, in your own play, okay? So you need it, but you need it to be strong. You need it to be mature, okay? Because if it's strong and mature, it's going to be resilient. It's not going to go into panic mode when things go wrong on the outside. Okay, think of a bigger boat. If you're out on the water and you're in a very small craft and the storm picks up and the swells and you have a teeny little boat, you're going to get rocked. You're going to be scared. Uh, it may not end well. But if you have a larger boat, a stronger boat, then the waves, same size, are going to come at you, the same storm, in the same intensity, but you're going to be relaxed because you're going to be able to deal with it. And the same thing with personal relationships. And this is how you know. This is where you're going to be able to see where you have weakness in your ego and how and when you can shore that up and recognize the things that need maturing, and you'll be able to see your progress, okay? And that's generally in the course of human relationships or your relationship with the world or society as a larger sense of this interpersonal relationship, okay? If 
people say things or do things that drive you nuts and you feel you have to retaliate or you want to justify or stand up for yourself in some way that you're trying to validate yourself because these opinions of others are attacking you and, oh no, but I'm not that way. I have to prove that I'm this other way that you want to see yourself. Okay, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune to bring Hamlet back. All right, you need to be able to endure the slings and arrows. Say something like social media these days. All right, the comments that people leave in any kind of social feed can be horrendous. Okay, they just are. It just kind of brings out some of the worst things in people. They can hide behind their keyboard and shoot off all kinds of comments. I've gotten them even on this podcast, at least the video thing, something about my hair or whatever. Um, at some point in my life, that would have really bothered me. Okay, because I'm kind of sensitive that way, I guess, to opinions of others. I want people to like me, right? Um, and if oh, somebody doesn't or they put some cutting remark or insult, you know, I can feel threatened, I can feel injured, I can be incensed, I want to retaliate, or I want to prove myself, or attack back, anything like that. Okay, and you, that's a natural, in some ways, response, but it's not the best response. Okay, that's what a weaker, immature ego would do, would go along with that and try to operate on that level, like a small boat in a storm. If you have a more mature, more developed ego, it'll be resilient, okay? Just like if, say, if you're a kid, say, a, I don't know, an elementary school kid, and a younger kid, say, a younger sibling is pestering you, uh, it's, it's going to make you angry. And you're going to, well, you're going to probably fight back and probably have a height and weight advantage and, um, and will retaliate and assert your power, uh, but if you're a grown-up and the toddler is, you know, biting you or kicking or, or doing something, it's like, oh, okay, it's not going to hurt you. You just let them get it out and hopefully you can show them another way of responding to life and all that. But you're not going to defend yourself uh, to a, a second grader, you know, or try to prove yourself. Okay, you're much more mature. You're able to handle some things. If there's a storm, the child might, oh, I'm nervous and I'm scared. You know, the storm's rattling the windows and there's lightning and the thunder and it can be, you know, horrendous uh, for a young person. Uh, and it can be for grown-ups too. Um, but generally speaking, the grown-up in the room is going to, okay, you know, we're stand away from the window. Uh, we'll light some candles if the power goes out. You know, the storm will pass. Uh, hey, we're all together here. Uh, get on the bed and get all the kids on the bed uh, because you're a grown-up, you're mature, you can handle these things and you help a child through it. But our ego is that scared child in the storm. So when you're interacting with people, if you very quickly go to defensive mode, justify uh, your actions or defend yourself against an opinion from somebody else, then you know you need to shore that up a little bit. You don't get rid of the ego. You actually strengthen it. Okay? Have it lift weights and be strong. Be strong that it won't 
feel threatened. It won't have to retaliate. It won't respond like a teenager with a driver's license, okay? It's going to respond with somebody with a lot more experience, somebody who's been through all that stuff, and can be a little more calm and go, okay, yeah, the storm's going to come through. There's going to be slings and arrows. Is people going to hurl insults at me? Okay. All right. You done? Okay, good. And then you go about your way. That's a strong ego. That's a strong sense of identity. But it only becomes strong when you realize that you're part of this larger system, like Hamlet wasn't able to do, but we as a society, as a modern culture, we were able to get through from the Renaissance onward, moving from this geocentric to a heliocentric system of the universe. We can move from an egocentric to a spirit-centric universe within and around us, where the ego is a very important, very beautiful, like the earth, part of a much larger system. Okay, then we're not afraid, then we don't have to defend ourselves or justify our actions or be scared in this large and sometimes lonely universe in which we live, but it's the universe within this inner life where we can grow and mature our ego, where it can be our friend, it can be a great co-worker, but it's not driving the ship. Okay, well, thank you for driving your ship over here to living the inner life, and we'll see you next time here on Living the Inner Life.